0: Hi, my name is Jenny Kwong for ArtsLink on CJSW 90.9 FM in Calgary on Treaty 7 lands and Métis Nation of Alberta Region 3. Today I'm speaking with Heather Shaw from the Fair Tales Queer Film Festival. It will be the 23rd annual film festival and runs May 21st to the 30th. Here's my conversation with Heather Shaw. Today I'm talking with Heather Shaw from Fairy Tales Queer Film Festival. So, welcome, Heather. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me. All right. Uh, tell me a little bit about yourself and how long you've been at Fairy
1: Tales Film Festival. Um, well, I'm the marketing director for the Calgary Queer Arts Society, and the Fairy Tales Film Festival is one of the programs we run. Um, It's in its 23rd year, and I've been with the organization for about a year and a half now. So this is going to be my second film festival and my second virtual film festival. All right. And what is your role there? So my role with the film festival is to create the theme um, for the festival, create all the marketing materials for the festival, manage the website, help do some of the the pay gating and just basically in general, make some partnerships and get the word out about all these amazing films we have.
0: Tell me about Fairy Tales Film Festival. How long has the festival been operating?
1: Um, Well, this is our 23rd year. It is the longest running film festival in Calgary. And we are the fourth largest queer film festival in Canada. So we have a long history. Um, It was originally started by Kevin Allen um, and was called the Fairy Tales Presentation Society. And then we moved into becoming the Calgary Queer Art Society and we have other programs along with the festival now.
0: Tell me about the festival in May. What are some of the interesting films you are looking forward to?
1: Um, Well, in May, so the festival will run May 21st to the 30th. Um, The theme for this year's festival is Perspectives, that no two people see the same film. So we've got uh, 10 nights of some really, really amazing films. The one that I am looking forward to uh, is one called Don Filippo. Um, it is this very uh, endearing, queer, campy, horror, funny, creepy film uh, that's well shot uh, and will make you smile and make you go, Ugh! at the same time. It's a wonderful film. Um, I'm also looking forward to Ahead of the Curve, which is the story of how uh, Deneuve and Cur- Curve Magazine were created. Uh, and we have another one called Love Spells and All That, um, where the it's a Turkish film and two women believe they fell in love because they had a love spell cast upon them, and they attempt to break it. And of course, you can imagine that doesn't work. But it's quite a quite a wonderful film.
0: What format will the festival be in? I'm I know last year it was an online format with a new website.
1: Um, yeah, and it will be the same this year. Uh, we lo- we moved a website so the festival has its own website, and we are partnering with that organization, the same one we did last year called Zurb TV from Santa Fe, New Mexico. They're um, excellent programmers, did a great job with our festival last year. And so we look forward to partnering with them again this year.
0: Okay, and what are some of the filmmakers you were working with this year?
1: We've got um, some really interesting filmmakers. Um, the Canadian that uh, Thurza Cuffland has um, curated a kinky shorts package for us. And it's a a wonderful collection of um, QT BIPOC filmmakers in Canada. And I think people will get a a really interesting and wonderful perspective from those filmmakers. There's another one in that package called uh, Jorge the Obscene, um, who's quite uh, Jorge is a filmmaker and a sex worker and has some very interesting um, perspective on that kind of work. a Worm in the Heart is uh, a documentary that was filmed um, in on the Trans-Siberian uh, Railroad in Russia and about the lives of LGBTQ persons there and it was a filmmaker him and his partner rode the train and filmed all of this so there are some really talented and interesting stories to be told by these filmmakers.
0: All right and any local or Canadian filmmakers you are excited about
1: this year? Um, I'm, we don't have any local filmmakers, but we have a bunch of local talent. And I suppose uh, um, we have, basically, we have a, local artists are doing a piece before the film. Um, uh, the closest thing, I guess, we have to a filmmaker is uh, Daveri Bass, uh, well-known drag king in Calgary, um, has curated a piece called Reverse Racism. And so Devery is uh, Calgarian, currently Calgarian, um, and Treaty 7. so they're doing this entire package on Thursday the May 27th which I think is really excellent. but we had over 600 uh, films submitted to us and we had to whittle it down to around 40 and our programming committee did an amazing job.
0: And how has it been like working with the filmmakers to get the get the films to the festival? You talk about uh, there might be challenges to filmmakers because of the pandemic. <sighs>
1: Yeah, we thought that um, we might see after, now that we've been, you know, over a year in the pandemic, that some filmmakers um, would struggle being able to make films. Um, And what we found so far is that's not the case. So the filmmakers have been incredibly um, adaptive about how to make films. In fact, one of the short films we have, um, which is called The Odyssey, uh, talks about queerness in the age of and young queer people in the age of uh, having to go to school and having to do everything online. Um, So I think the filmmakers have done an amazing job of working in such a challenging situation to provide us with these incredible films.
0: And how did the programming at the festival go? I know you made a call out for volunteer programmers
1: yes and we had um an overwhelming response we had a lot of very um interested very introspective very talented very thoughtful people who chose to come on board and volunteered to watch hours and hours of film some of our volunteers watched nearly 100 hours worth of film in order to uh, curate what they believed were uh, the best stories for our audience and so the programming committee really stepped it up this year and uh, a lot of work in and a lot of thought into the films that you're going to see at the festival.
0: What other films are you excited about that you haven't already mentioned?
1: Um, I think there's a wonderful little short called Don't Text Back. um, And it's just, uh, it's about what can possibly, it's a a slightly campy also horror film about what happens if you just continue to text someone back. Um, It's quite, quite funny. Um, from a to q is a wonderful short about a young girl and her dreams um goodbye mother is fantastic for kergotten roads is the story of uh two women who are in their 60s who find love and that's great another one's called perfectly frank about a man who was married for decades and then when he retired he decided to come out and it tells his story so we've really got a little bit of of everything. I, I actually think that um, our shorts packages this year are some of the strongest we've ever had. All right.
0: And um, thanks t- to speaking with me. I guess uh, talking about the dates and times for the films and how people can uh, get, uh, purchase tickets,
1: I guess. Sure. So the film festival will run uh, from May 21st to the 30th, which is a Friday to a Sunday. Um, you can get your tickets at uh, Zerb tv but the best way to do that first and foremost will be to go to the fairy tales uh, festival website which is fairytalesfilmfest.com and you can see the schedule um, there and you can go and click on and you can go to Zerb, and you can purchase your tickets you can purchase a entire film festival pass you can purchase a three-day pass or you can purchase single um, tickets for the evening so for example Uh, May 22nd, we have two things happening. We have Don Filippo, the feature with a a short called Silent Heat. So that would be one film package. And then at nine o'clock, we have Thurza's Kinky Shorts package. So those would be separate pricing. Um, But the prices are really reasonable. You get a lot of bang for your buck. You get to support queer artists, queer filmmakers. And uh, I think people will really get a great perspective um, from the choice of films the programmers have made for this year.
0: And without being able to go to the theater, how do you like generate the excitement online for the films?
1: Um, we're really fortunate that um, we have some great community partners that we work with. Um, we have been embedded with the queer community for a long time. Um, so we have people who are uh, excited about the festival and willing to help talk about it in many ways. We have some great partners, such as yourself at CJSW, um, RBC is our presenting sponsor and they do a great job of networking for us. So um, part of it is to try to overcome some of the sort of, I guess, screen fatigue that people may have. But I think that um, people will get to see things they don't normally get to see. You can't just click on YouTube and watch these and you get a perspective that normally doesn't run anywhere else. So I think that generates a lot of its own interest but uh, any support we can get would be great because we're the, we're the facilitator. There's filmmakers and there's audience. And the Fairy Tales Film Festival sits in the middle, middle to facilitate a conversation between filmmakers and audience. And hopefully we can get enough uh, people watching so that that can be a great conversation. Because we will also be having interviews and Q&As with filmmakers after the films. So people will really get to participate and see what the filmmakers have to say about what they, their films what they mean to them.
0: All right, thank you very much, Heather, for your time today.
1: Thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate you interviewing us, and thank you to CJSW for being such a wonderful partner all these years.
0: Hi, it's Jenny again. That was Heather Shaw from the Fairy Tales Queer Film Festival, which happens May 21st to the 30th. Visit www.fairytalesfilmfest.com for more information and tickets. Next is a song by The Pink Noise, The track is out of step from their 2021 album, Economy of Love. They started in Toronto and are now based in Montreal.
2: First off, you know you gotta lose. My body and mind are sick of this love. Fuzz out.
0: step by the pink noise from their 2021 album economy of love they are based in montreal now here is co-host nathan taylor
2: this past april sharon pollock died at the age of 85. this groundbreaking playwright director and actor was once interviewed by artslink co-host jenny and i'm going to play you a couple excerpts of their chat I really like this interview. She is quite the presence to hear, as animated as she is, and with the vividness of her speech. Here's Jenny once more, with her thoughts and an intro on their talk.
0: I remember inviting her into Studio 2, having her sit in the guest's one might chair, and her speaking for an hour or so. It was a special moment for me in 2016, just before the relaunching of the ArtsLink program. Listening back to the episode, I feel grief and loss for her, but also a sense of awe that I had the opportunity to speak with her. Hi, my name is Jenny Kwong. Right now, I have with me in the CJSW studio, Sharon Pollock, playwright, actor, director, teacher, and theater critic. She began her career in theatre about 50 years ago in New Brunswick, then moved in 1966 to Calgary and began to write plays in 1971. Her plays have been performed across Canada and abroad. She has also received awards for her plays, including the Governor General's Award twice for the plays Blood Relations and Dog. I am speaking to Sharon on the occasion of the release of a new book that came out in October 2015. It's called Sharon Pollock, First Woman of Canadian Theatre from the University of Calgary Press. The book consists of a series of essays on Sharon's work with Associate Professor Donna Coates as the editor. So is this the first time you're seeing a copy of the book? Uh, Yes, it is. So how does it feel to have this book uh, out? Uh, well, it's always interesting to read
3: uh, essays on what people say about your work, and sometimes I discover things that uh, I didn't know about, and sometimes I, do, you know, find uh, uh, things that I think, oh
0: yeah, that that that's right. <laughs> and so, one of the essays in the book is called "Ownership and Stewardship" in Sharon Pollock's Generations. It was written by Jason Weens, who is an instructor at the UFC. In the essay, he discusses themes in the play, such as land and ownership. So why were you interested in exploring these topics?
3: Living in Alberta, and I came to Alberta uh, in the early 60s, and uh, it seems to me if you live in the prairie provinces, where there's such a wide expanse of land, you can't help but be aware of the environment which which is... so large and majestic, and 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 open, uh, and our relationship to land, I, I find very interesting. And uh, that particular time, I had uh, toured a lot in very in small towns in Alberta and and in the west with a, as an actor in a very small company, and you met a lot of. Uh, farmers who I think of as the salt of the earth. <laughs> and um, a, and I have this feeling as if um, um, the landscape itself, that rocks and natural elements hold stories themselves. They don't speak, but somehow <laughs> the stories are contained within them. and um, And that just interested me as I thought about the loss of Of land, uh, whether it be First Nation or whether it be farm families that came here uh, pioneering and had been here for generations and the movement of young people into the city and what kind of conflicts arose around all of those things. And, um, you know, you never know why a play starts to speak to you, why characters start to speak to you and you have to listen and then try to turn them into a into a performance piece.
0: The play started as a radio play. How did the uh, that adaptation take place.
3: That's really interesting. I'd actually forgotten that. You know, I did do an early radio show of of that, uh, and that goes back to that same thing. I was probably commissioned to do that by Fred Diel, who was a wonderful radio producer here um, in the in the sixties and early seventies, and um, and once again, sometimes you'll have a play that is in one form. And you don't feel as if it's re- fully realized in that form because you're like in those days be maybe a fifty four minute radio show, and so it just gives you a taste of of the story, both for an audience and also for me who's writing it. And then the people won't let you go; the characters you've created won't let you go. They've got more to say, more to do, and 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 you, I have to listen to them. Um, so it did begin as a radio play, and and then I think was more fully realized as the stage play.
0: The focus was on the New Orleans struggle over ownership and inheritance of the their farm, their medicine hat. Uh-huh. So what is it about that struggle that interested you?
3: It was the idea, I suppose, of conflicting things. There are two women in it. They don't have major roles. I was interested in the sacrifice that that farm family has made over the years, um and the woman the older woman at one point says uh, that belonging for, for something bigger, the being attached to something bigger uh, is important to her, whereas aspects of the younger generation, the the son who wants to, who's a lawyer and wants to sell. Part of the land for his or have somebody buy it so he can uh, invest further in his career in the city and the in his brother who opts to stay on the land despite all of the troubles um, one side of the family it seems finds a realization in belonging to something bigger which they see as the farm which they see as the land, whereas the younger members see more uh, self-realization. So I think that what interested me uh, was, in fact, uh, that struggle between an older generation that's gone through, or even the First Nation uh, character in it, who's gone through feeling part of something that's more universal and huge and big, and the younger generation who sees um, lives in an urban setting And and, and self-realization is more important than being part of a larger community, I suppose you would say. You don't always know when you're writing what it is, why it is you're writing that. Part of it is finding out as you go along what it is that... The characters in the story means to you or even reading a book like the book that's been published and <laughs> somebody I'll, i could read it and say oh yeah i guess that's what i was getting at because i can look at the play and say yeah that's in there i can see it but at the time i'm writing it i i, I may not know that it may be some way for me to come to that conclusion you know or not even a conclusion just to frame a, a, a question um and if i knew beforehand what exactly it was I was getting at in the play, then it would be really boring to write the play. Part of the um, kind of the anguish and the joy in trying to write something is discovering things you didn't know about people and events as, as you're writing it. If you knew all that before you started, if I knew exactly what I was trying to get at in the play, I would... It, it would just be work. <laughs> <You know? laughs> work, to, in a way, isn't very well paid for either. So,
0: you know. And so, why were you interested in exploring the relationship with the First Nations Reserve? How could you
3: not be? Yeah. How could one not be? Uh, I grew up in eastern Canada, in, in New Brunswick, a small town. Now, it had a reserve that was actually sort of right on the city limits, St. Mary's. Reserve, it was called, which even makes you think St. Mary's Reserve. That seems weird, but anyway. uh, um, And you very seldom saw First Nation people. It wasn't until I came west that I really was uh, aware of of, uh, First Nation people on the street, that the reserves were close at hand, that there was another people who were here before and that they were a real and active presence. So um you can't help if you're writing certain plays about Canada that you don't reflect in some way although I'm a white person and that's a and that's always a challenge uh, how you can portray someone honestly and not appropriate their voice, but nevertheless, they're part of the world that I live in and yet have them speak, right? Um, And of course, when I started writing back in the 70s, and that would be 40 some years ago, it was very, you had to fight to have uh, a First Nation actor play a role, uh, to to actually have it cast appropriately. Fortunately, we've, we've come a ways since then. Back in the seventies you had to fight even to get even Canadian plays on the on our major stages. So times have times have changed. We've got a lot further to go. If you write about land in Western Canada, how could you not have a First Nation presence in it?
0: I mentioned you came into Alberta in the '60s. So, what was it like that then to come to Alberta? I had always thought of, Calga-
3: of Calgary as, a, you know, uh, well, I guess the Stampede. I sort of knew of, and uh, but I remember they, and they still don't come to think of it. The city didn't plow the streets. That was the first thing I I discovered was because I would lived in Toronto and I lived in, a, I'd gone to school outside of Montreal, so it was. I, I I couldn't imagine a city that didn't plow its... Like the sidewalks is what I'm talking about. That that was the first thing I noticed about Calgary. And also that it didn't really seem a city at all. There were no... There was no real build, big buildings downtown. It, 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 it was interesting. But what I loved about Calgary and Alberta and why I always continued to stay here was the i guess i would have called it back then a pioneering spirit that still existed you weren't defined by who your family was i came from a small province and a small town uh and and everybody knew everybody else and everybody knew everything you did and everybody knew who you were supposed to be uh and it, and if you weren't that person it, it was a difficult life you had um at least in your own opinion, it was a difficult life, um, and so I loved the the get ahead spirit here. I loved the speed of things. I loved that people were individuals, and that uh, that the unattractive parts of that exist in all parts of Canada and conceivably the world. For example, racism or hypocrisy. Whereas in uh, Eastern Canada, I felt people felt that way but concealed it. Where here, people just said it. If that's the way that, you know, the redneck, he said what it was. And when people are very blunt about it, well, then you can do something about it. You know, mm-hmm. they kind of own that attitude. And, okay, now we can, now it's on the table. So what are we going to do about this? As opposed to pretending that... Uh, that those attitudes don 't exist or covering them up and not admitting to them, which sometimes happens I think in lots of places. Um, Alberta has changed an awful lot since and sometimes I miss that dynamic feeling of of the old Alberta you know i I used to say, and i I would still say when I came out here. I lived I also lived in BC for a while, you know, that if you live in a place where if you like plugging your car in, I never ever knew you had to plug your car in in the winter. That was a shock too, right? Uh that it, when you came home at night and you forgot to plug your car in, well then it didn't it didn't start in the morning. Or if you came home late at night after drinking too much at the bar and you fell down, you froze to death you know <laughs> if you didn't get up that that when you live in a place like alberta you can't help but be aware of the natural environment you're in because of the extremes of weather. Uh, You know, you can go for a hike in the mountains and fall over the side and die. Everything is, I, I, I compare it a little bit like Newfoundland of fishermen, people who have to live and work with the land. When you do something stupid or not thinking or wrong, there are consequences and they happen right
2: away. That was ArtsLink co-host Jenny speaking with Sharon Pollock on the occasion of a book about her work being published by the University of Calgary Press in October of 2015. You can find the work called Sharon Pollock, First Woman of Canadian Theatre on the U of C Press website as a free PDF file. We'll also post a link to that as well as the longer interview on the ArtsLink section of cgsw.com. Well, that's all the time we have for this month. From Nathan and Jenny, we'll talk to you folks again in June.